0: Um, even more niche courses like thirteen week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com/slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis Podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Harrison shares why he turned down a full ride to Stanford to play soccer at Indiana University, how he broke into investment banking at J.P. Morgan, and why he transitioned to a smaller middle market firm in Cleveland. Learn how he quickly positioned himself for one of the few coveted private equity spots in Cleveland, and how he's already been promoted early twice in his young career. Enjoy. All right, Harrison, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. So it'd be awesome if you could just uh, give a quick summary bio for the listeners.
1: For sure. Um, so, um, Harrison, I'm from Indiana originally. I uh, went to Indiana University and studied finance, accounting, and international business there. Um, uh, between my junior and senior year, I did an internship. Uh, and investment banking with JP. Morgan in Chicago. Uh, started there full time uh, for as an investment banking analyst as well. um and then lateraled to key bank capital markets in Cleveland for some personal reasons, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. Um so finished my my investment banking analyst ship there. and then um, after after about another year, I joined Riverside as a um, as a private equity associate. Um, and I've been there ever since, coming up on five years. Um, first couple of years as an associate, then senior associate, and most recently, uh, vice president on our investing team. Congrats on all the promotions. It's not easy. <laughs> um, so let's start all
0: the way back just at, at Indiana. Um, you know. Was it, uh, I see you were a member of like the investment banking workshop. Was finance always on the radar? Was it in family? Like, did you dream of becoming an investment banker since you were like eight years old or what was the, what was the deal?
1: Not at all. Not at all. For me, um, I actually went to Indiana, um, mostly for, for sports. I played soccer growing up and, um, played soccer in college for, for Indiana and, and uh, was like a lot of young kids, uh, wanted to be a professional athlete. You must've been pretty good if you were playing That's a D one, right? Yeah, yeah, we won a national championship my junior year. Um, yeah. So here, use is, uh, is a pretty renowned uh, soccer school, which is which is a lot of fun. Which is part of the reason why why I went there. And you know, I'm from Indianapolis, so wasn't wasn't too far up the road, just far enough from home where um, I, my parents couldn't you know come see me every day, but uh, but close enough where I could go home if I needed to. So before going to college, you were actually
0: thinking, hey, man, I might want to go pro, go MLS, whatever. Um, you thought. So what what transpired as you kind of got into, you know, uh, you know, they probably recruited you. Obviously, they recruited you at a high school because you're probably a star or whatever. But tell me about um, that whole process and the thought process of, okay, I'm going to go to Indiana because it's a, it's a top program. Like, were your parents on board with that? Or were they like, hey, you know, maybe you could go to another school? Uh, or like, were they all on board?
1: No, they were on board, honestly. Um, my recruiting process was was pretty drawn out, I um, candidly had um, offers from probably a lot better, um, or at least, um, you know, from a brand name perspective, um, top tier um, academic schools as well. So Stanford, um, Duke, um, Wake Forest, schools like that, um, that also had good soccer programs. But um, candidly, when I went to Indiana, it just, it felt like home. The soccer program has won more national championships than anybody um so it was part of that and and honestly I just it just felt felt like the right fit um so it was a tough decision for sure but
0: uh one that uh I was very happy about and did you um in terms of like when Stanford gave you the offer was there was there anything around like financial aid that made that decision like just the cost of Stanford versus Indiana or was it did they give you aid and uh
1: no I'm I was very fortunate and um pretty much had full rides from from a lot of the from all, all the schools so um, it was you turned it, out a
0: full ride to Stanford.
1: I know I, I look back every day. I'm like, man, if I ever wanted to go to business school now and I had to explain to, you know, the, the administrative department at, at Stanford that I could have gone there undergrad for free, they, they probably would kick me out of the process immediately. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I look back on it sometimes, but it was a great time in Indiana. You know, I, I am where I want to be in terms of, well, my-
0: you're totally fine. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're totally fine, but it's, it's interesting because that's, you don't see that every day. Um, you don't see that every day. And it's interesting that you had the confidence to, well, I mean, at that point when you were uh, making that decision, you were like, what, a junior in high school or Uh, about to be a senior? I
1: would say late
0: sophomore year, early junior year. Yeah. I don't usually talk about high school here, but this is such an interesting little twist. So were you thinking like at that point, were you like very confident that like, Hey, I want to go to the best soccer program, not like necessarily brand name. And, and like, that was the number one, because you, you were going to go pro.
1: Um, it was, it was like, definitely,
0: what, like, realistically, like, did you think like, for sure, I'm going pro?
1: I would have put it at like a 75% chance. And, and, and really, you know, during college, I had, I, I, I could have played pro if I, if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But when I looked at, uh, and we'll probably talk a little bit about the transition. But, you know, when I looked at towards the end of my career, you know, going and playing, you know, soccer and, and, um, you know, being in a spot where you're making, you know, I don't know, 60 to 70 K as a rookie for the first couple of years. And then, you know, unless you really blow up, which it's, it's really hard to do as uh, as a somebody coming out of college versus especially in the MLS. Now, most of the players come from overseas. Even um, why, instead, is it hard to, why is it hard
0: to blow up in MLS? Just because you're, you're young. You're still not, your game's not completely refined yet. Um,
1: or what? Uh, I would actually say the opposite. So um, yeah. typically the, the first con the first couple of years of the contracts are, You're on your, your rookie minimum. And then typically, unless you end up becoming like one of the really top guys, what they'll do is they'll just, instead of, you know, then paying you a lot more for your second contract, they'll just bring somebody else out of college that is, you know, pretty close to as good as you and pay them, you know, a third, a third as much, um, so it's a little bit, it's mostly financially driven from the it's, club's perspective. Of
0: course. Yeah. Cause they're they're. It's not a huge, it's not like a, an MBA or a NFL type revenue stream. So they're, they're really conscious about what they're spending on the players. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you're saying that second contract, getting that second contract is incredibly difficult um, yeah. coming from the U S. Yep. Totally. Interesting dynamic.
1: I yeah. didn't know that. Uh, realistically um, you know, as I thought through it, I was like, well, I have this great job offer to go work for JP Morgan. Um and it, realistically, if I see myself in five, six, seven years, whatever it is, however however long my soccer career is, I'm gonna have to probably go back to business school and probably be fighting for the same job that i that I have in hand right now. So while I give up the really cool experience of playing, I I, you know, get a head start of five year five or six years on, you know, my professional career. So it seems
0: like that was a very
1: mature decision. <laughs>
0: I'm surprised that wasn't there. Well, I guess four years does a lot, right? Um, yeah. Because, like, I guess same thing. Like, you know, when you're a junior, you, you think I can, I can do. It. I mean, that's what percentage of people who are in the U.S. guy, the college guys out of the U.S. that join MLS, that that group, what percentage get a get a contract, a second contract? Do you think? Like, and what is it? A three year? It's a three year rookie year contract. Yeah, I think it's like a maybe it's like a
1: two year with a third year. Sorry life.
0: about diving so much into this, but it's fascinating. No, it's fun. It's fun. Fun <laughs> topic.
1: Um. Yeah, I would. I mean, let's say there's probably fifty fifty kids a year um, that come out of college that that go pro. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. Maybe ten to fifteen of them like stick around for more than three or three or so years. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. Yeah. So you looked at that and you said, mm.
0: "What position did you play?"
1: Uh, center mid. Okay.
0: A lot of good competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must have been pretty good. Um, anyways, so yeah, I was, no, no, I was nowhere near, nowhere near that. Um, I couldn't even break onto a div three, um, varsity squad. So. <laughs> Although Williams college, we're a D three national champs many times over too. Oh, Williams is good. Yeah. So, um, okay. So let's talk a little bit as you kind of, as your, your freshman, sophomore year, you're, you're playing, you're having a great time. It's a blast. Um, are you like right away? Are you a starter? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I started. Wow. I think all but a couple games at
0: IU. And then finance and accounting and all this stuff. You you got a double major, finance and accounting, or is it one? Uh, yeah, it's two. It's two. And so, when did you kind of think, okay, this finance thing might be might be for me? Are your parents in finance?
1: No, not at all. My mom's a, an anesthesiologist. My dad was in medical sales for a long time. So um, medicine, healthcare. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know uh, that that was part of probably part of the reason why I chose to go into business because I saw how. You know, my mom being on call all the time, that sort of thing. I wanted to do something a little bit different. Same with me. My dad was a cardiologist growing up. So it's not the same
0: <laughs> So tell me, oh, yeah, he was working like 18 hour days. I'm like, I don't do that. I'm gonna go do investment banking where it's the same exact hour. No. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: So okay. So tell me a little bit about just as so finance kind of interested you. You took some classes, obviously. You're like, okay, this is this is right for me. And then tell me when you started hearing about investment banking. I know Indiana has a they have the workshop, the investment banking workshop, but was it like a group of kids? Was it, was it like really well known? And I assume your GPA was decent enough where um, you were getting looks to to land at J.P. Morgan. Let's talk about like how you even got that internship.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the, yeah, you're right. The investment banking program at IU is, is um, I, I would, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would guess it outside of, you know, the, the Ivy Leagues and maybe the Notre Dames of the world, I would guess IU probably has, the most folks going into investment banking each year, and that's that's predominantly because of the work that this workshop does. Um, so you know, it's basically starting as sophomores, and I, but when I was there, it was it was junior, but they've they've accelerated a little bit. So they have to, yeah, for <laughs> recruiting purposes for sure. Yeah. Um, so they've basically you know built this great program where you do a lot of training. Um, at early on to, you know, and, and tells you how to, you know, basically get you to break in. But I think the biggest thing that the program has done is, you know, um, Professor Haberley, who's the guy who started it, was kind of a visionary and one of the big focuses is on giving back and and making sure that, you know, once you break into the industry that you're giving the time of day to, you know, the kids that are in college to help them break in. And so it's created this huge network effect of people that are, you know, in banking now in senior roles and now, you know, then have gone on to private equity and, you know, in senior roles and whatever it is. So that, that network I think is, has become extremely powerful at IU. And so, um, you know, we're, we are pretty fortunate to where, you know, most most schools outside of the Ivy Leagues and Notre Dame's, et cetera, they don't have you know the, the banks coming on campus to do a lot of recruiting. But we were fortunate enough to where pretty much every every bank, um, whether it be a bulge bracket or or mid market um, investment bank, was doing on campus interviews. So it was really just you know a, a process of networking, knowing you know what city you wanted to be in, was it New York or Chicago? What type of bank was it bulge bracket versus mid market, et cetera? Um, and then from there you, you know, you just tried to get on the interview list, I would say anywhere from five to seven, maybe even 10 people per bank from our, from our workshop got interviewed. And, um, you know, just depending on the bank, anywhere from, you know, zero up to five to seven people would be, you know, get internships at, at those banks. Well, that's amazing. So is it, was it really tough to get into that workshop? Is it still tough? Do you know
0: what's, what's going on with it?
1: Yeah, it is, it was, it is pretty selective for sure. Um, and I think, how
0: do, you, how do you get in? How do you, you write an essay or something, say, how you want to be an investment banker or what do you do?
1: Yeah, it's, I think it's part of that. Um, I, GPA is a big piece of it as well. Um, your coursework. And, and candidly, there's a lot of other like just like getting breaking into real investment banking. There's a lot of networking that goes on. So you're talking with trying to meet with the people that are already in the workshop that are a couple of years older than you. Um, and, and inevitably, there's a lot of, you know, um, you know there's a couple like fraternities on campus now where, you know, like there, there's, you know, people that want to get into the investment banking workshop you know, get into, go to the, a certain fraternity because there's a lot of people that have gotten into it. So the Greek life a little bit comes into play. Did you end up at that frat? Uh, no, we weren't allowed to join frats, um, uh, maybe for probably fortunately, but um, oh, as think, a, what as a soccer player? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I, but honestly, I think soccer helped differentiate me a little bit there. I think the, the athletic background, um, you know, uh, you've probably talked to other athletes that have, that have been in um, banking and private equity, but it's a pretty similar I don't know vibe and teamwork like teamwork hard work like all like there's a lot of similar characteristics that translate very well into the industry so um I think that that helped me get into the workshop as well very cool
0: so you get in you're excited they start like just grilling you on like technicals trying to get you up to speed and like at that point when you were going through it and this is a while ago now um were you was recruiting, I guess, junior year, like early, early junior year or late sophomore year for internships?
1: I think the, the interview on campus interviews were like just at the beginning of second semester junior year when I was going through. And I know that's been accelerated. a Um, so was it, was it like you dropped your resume to the 15
0: places, all middle market and bulge bracket banks. And so do you remember like around what the, um, the the fall off of their numbers or the conversion numbers were to actual first round interview
1: uh that's a good question um i i, I don't roughly remember like was it 20 yeah i would probably say that i i probably dropped like i probably inter like you know networked and put resumes out there for roughly 10 10 places i would say mm-hmm. um and i probably got had I don't know, seven, seven interviews, something like
0: that. Pretty good, pretty good conversion. And then from those, um, obviously JP Morgan was one, was it other bulge brackets, other middle markets? And then how did you, how many offers did you end up with for, for internships? Or did you just take the first one and drop the process? And what was the, uh,
1: good question. So I think I, you know, I did all seven interviews. I, I think I ended up with probably four or five offers, definitely four. Um, and you know, I would say I I did a little bit of interviewing in New York, but mostly was in Chicago. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I focused more on Chicago than I did on bulge bracket versus mid-market, et cetera. Um, And ultimately chose JP partially because of the brand name, partially because of the connection I'd made with a couple of the folks there. Um, That sort of thing. Got it.
0: It makes sense. Okay. So you had a lot of offers. do do you feel like, why do you feel like you had so many offers? I mean, they probably asked you about Soccer as well and all that good stuff. But do you feel like that helped you? But what else? Was your GPA like a three six, three seven, three eight? What
1: uh probably like three seven, yeah.
0: Three seven. Okay. So you're doing a well. workshop
1: that was pretty average, honestly.
0: Yeah, you're doing well at this yeah, at school though. Um, was it just the workshop prepped you well, or there was just it was the strong networking that you were doing? Like tell me about that networking you said. I did networking. Was it just like coffee chats and stuff like that? Or were you doing going over above and beyond?
1: No, I'd say coffee chats was a big thing. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the workshop every year would do at least one trip to Chicago, one trip to New York where you, you know, you'd visit over the course of three days, probably 15 banks each. Like it was pretty, pretty intensive. So you got a chance to see a little bit of everything. Um, I think luckily, uh, maybe luckily, but one of the, one of the guys that had, you know, that was from IU probably three or four years ahead of me that was still at JP as an analyst. Um, had played football at iu so I, we had that that connection which really helped me honestly and and i would say i mean it's, it's the advice that i give to pretty much all the you know up up and coming fi- finance um you know professionals that want to that are interviewing or whatever it is is you know being i think being personable being like you know being being able to talk and have a normal conversation like The more it feels like a true interview, the the, probably the worse it's going, the worse it's going. So um, I always just tried to focus on just having a natural conversation and and that seemed to do pretty well. Do you feel like that was learned or that was just something you grew up with? Uh, Probably a little bit of both. Maybe I I probably am am fortunate enough to have a little bit more on the, it comes a little bit naturally to me. So, um, but I definitely focused on it for sure.
0: Yeah, I always wonder about that. Because I feel like, you know, sometimes kids start really shy and then they become really like outspoken or they, they kind of grow into themselves. And then other kids are like, um, can go the other way and go too far or whatnot, or there's two they just sound like bumbling idiots. And so it's, it's interesting that, uh, you're able to thread the needle. So you're, so you're kind of, you get the offer, you're super excited. You get, you get to Chicago for the summer and it's, is it kind of what you expected since the workshop had prepped you, um, in terms of what to expect or was it different? Tell me a little bit about kind of that summer and. And were you nervous about getting a return, all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, the summer was, it was really good. We worked a ton. It was, it was pretty much what I expected. Worked long hours and, and learned a lot. Um, I would say in general at JP, I I did a little bit more on like the capital market side than on the M&A side. And I think that's more typical at bulge brackets, just because, you know, there's less big deals going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, that was probably the one. Maybe surprised was the was the thought in my mind um, that I was I was hoping to do probably a little bit more M and A than I did okay. over the summer, um, but it was still a great experience. And uh, I think you know we had in the Chicago office we we focused mostly on it was an in, industrials and um, building products for the two groups in uh, in the Chicago office for JP. So that's those were the kind of the areas that I focused on. Um, and you know I think out of the four of us in my class, we all got return offers and. Uh, and and went back.
0: Was it four interns or four four from uh, IU? You're saying uh, no, four
1: four interns, but because there's only those two groups. So there's yeah, so it's two. only four
0: interns. Okay, you know, all four of you guys got the return.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome, congrats! And so you were you were psyched. You're like going into now senior year with a job lined up, and it was just a no brainer. You're like, I'm just gonna do, I'm gonna take this. This is great.
1: I, I thought it was. I mean, I, I I accepted for sure, and I I kind of made the the note to them that you know, unless all of a sudden I have some crazy, awesome senior year and, you know, I go top 10 in the draft or something, then I, I uh, I'll be back. And um, <laughs> you know, I did invite you the combine, um, which would have basically ensured getting drafted somewhere, but I knew it wasn't going to be, you know, a top five pick or anything like that. So, so what just- was, what? How,
0: how would you have had such a crazy senior year? Like, it just seems to me like, it's not really, it's so hard, especially center mid, what do you do? Like you have to have like 50 assists or something crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, what's the, you know, you put a few like 10 goals and like, what, what do you have to do to? Take- yeah,
1: exactly. Which that, that, uh, you know, that, that didn't seem like it was in the cards and it ultimately wasn't. So
0: that's basically what has to happen. You just have to have, like a blowout year yeah. where, where the MLS teams are like, oh, we want that guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, fair enough. So you're, you, you get invited to the combine. You decide, you decide, mm, okay, I'm going to get drafted, but, you know, where am I going to get drafted at? 30 at 50 whatever it's not it's not necessarily worth it um yep. and is is it scaled like the nba where it's like uh the first and second pick get higher salaries than like the
1: uh yeah for sure
0: then yep. okay do you know what it is for the second first pick like 150 I mean, or I, something
1: <laughs> back when i was coming out like i would say that the top the top top folks uh were probably anywhere from 150 to 200 tops. still not that much yeah yeah yeah. Okay. So you're still going to make more in um, <laughs> um,
0: So you're you're basically coming out. You're so you join the same group in Chicago. You you graduate, and then is there, that first couple of months you're doing the training? You're kind of going through all that. Is there any like, oh man, now I'm like getting out of shape? Like, how are you staying in shape from going from becoming like basically a professional soccer player to now sitting at your desk all day?
1: Yeah. It was uh, well, actually, the the summer in New York for training was awesome. Um, we're, we were working like. You know, maybe 8 a.m. to like three to four PM, you're getting paid. Um, yeah. you know, you're in New York for the summer. And great it, one of the great things for the people not in the New York office for JP was they put you up in um in corporate housing. So like you don't have to pay rent, you get a furnished apartment. Um, so we were living large for like, you know, the the 10 weeks or whatever it was, um, getting to work out all the time, going to Central Park. That so that, that part was yeah. awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that must have been a blast. And so then you then you get to you get fly back to Chicago and you get and you get put on the desk and reality hits of what it's like So tell me about the hours and the and then just that that first bonus and, and range of pay if you're able to share it doesn't have to be exact, but just to, so people get a flavor of, you know, Chicago, lower cost of living city, probably getting paid pretty well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think back when we when I came out, I want to say those starting salaries were either like, 75 or 80, mm-hmm. but I don't think there was a cost of living adjustment between, um, New York and Chicago, which was, right. kind of, um, and then I think that, you know, first year bonuses were roughly, you know, for top tier was roughly, you know, a hundred percent of salary, maybe slightly below that, but pretty close. That's amazing. First year out. Yeah. And I think so like uh, you were just, you're, you were starting at like a good, t- it's like
0: you weren't in the depths of the great financial crisis. We had started to ramp a little bit more deal flow was going up. So tell me about like, um, so were you like ranked near the top of your class by the end of that first year? Yeah. At the top. Okay. And then um, is that, did they rank you against like the New York people or just against the Chicago people?
1: Uh, it was, it was based on, it was by group. So I was in the industrials group, which, um, you know, probably, I don't know. 80% of the people were in in New York and the, there was only a couple of us in Chicago. So, um, you know, it, and I think we, I think the way that they, JP did it at least back then was they just had basically three buckets, basically top, middle, or, or bottom tier. And that's, everybody in those tiers got the same payout, I think. Got it. And then in terms of like, um, do you know what percentage
0: of people like ended up in the bottom tier versus that is like bottom 10% and then top 10% 10, 10, and then like most people get the middle?
1: I honestly you don't know.
0: Yeah. i just curious. So, okay. So you're, um, you're doing well, you're kind of, uh, you know, I assume working what 80 plus hours a week.
1: Yeah. That. Yeah, for sure.
0: What's going through your mind that first six months, you kind of get up to speed? Did you feel like you were ready because of the workshop and like you had the financial modeling skills, all that,
1: all that good jazz? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, um, yeah. it w- it was a lot of what we expected and, you know, it was probably, I mean, the hours everybody hears about um, it was honestly at least that when I was at JP, was probably worse than I was even expecting. But you you kind of fight through it and you get sl- slight glimmers of hope here and there. Um, and right when I was going into was when a lot of the banks, I think Goldman was maybe the first to do it. And it was while I was my, during my first year where they did like protected Saturdays, as an example. One of my roommates in Chicago worked at Goldman. And, and so he had protected Saturdays. JP, I think maybe, maybe a couple of years after I left, started to institute some of those same things. So you're like, damn it. <laughs> exactly. You didn't get the benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: things did start. You're right. I remember now, like things did start kind of changing around then. There was a few um, unfortunate incidents, yeah. right? And Bank of America started doing stuff. And there's some interns that suffered and a few that even passed away yeah. um, from some of it. So tell me a little bit about the the decision to, to move. Because you're kind of in your second year. Were you thinking private equity at that point? Um, did you recruit it all? Did you talk to headhunters? And then um, the move from Chicago to Cleveland and going from a bulge racket to him in a market bank. Tell me about your thought process there. You said it was a personal thing, which is fine if you don't want, you know, whatever you can, whatever you can. Um, share.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to share. So at at school, I met my my girlfriend at the time, and she she actually played soccer at IU as well. Nice. Um, but she's, she's from Cleveland, and um, and she when she graduated, she came back up to Cleveland to be to go to dental school at Case Western. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were starting to look, um, and see, look, she's going to be there for at least four years. Um, I like Chicago, but I, I didn't have any necessarily, you know, desire to be there for the rest of my life. Um, and so that was kind of the personal thing of, if, you know, making it work, honestly, we probably would have continued to, to fight through and do the long distance thing for another year until I got done with my, you know, two year analystship at JP. But, um, going back to what I was talking about a little bit earlier, uh, most of the work that I did in my first year um, especially working for big m- most of my clients that I worked on were big auto OEMs um, mm-hmm. and there's like no M&A in that world um, and so I was doing pretty much all, all DCM e- yeah all e- equity and debt capital markets um, working for uh, some of the big auto OEMs and th- that stuff I mean while while it's good experience it it wasn't what I wanted to do I, I was starting to get the the kind of um I started to formalize, you know, and finalize my opinion that I wanted to get into private equity. And so, you know, going, not having much M&A experience would, was not going to help me getting into that realm. And so, um, so, you know, on a, on, you know, long story short, if I would have been getting the exact experience I wanted at JP, I probably would have stayed there and finished <laughs> my second year. But because of that, I was willing, because I wasn't, I was willing to make a change and go to a middle market bank where I knew it was more M&A heavy. Were they able to kind
0: of make you whole or close to whole from losing your bonus? You'd like going working three quarters of the year and leaving your
1: bonus. Yeah, um, it's like so yeah, definitely a little bit. Yeah, I mean he was he was definitely uh, I would say happy to to get somebody that had you know come from a bulge bracket and that sort of thing. So it was mm-hmm. it, out, it all worked out.
0: Cool. Okay, so you you didn't get completely uh, hosed <laughs> there. Um, okay, <laughs> so you you're you're in Cleveland now. You're the long distance is no longer. Um, although that can kind of be a tough transition all you guys you guys probably like live together in college anyways or practically so like going from long distance for almost two years and then back together it's probably nice um to to finally not be so far apart. But so she's in school. You're now in a middle market. Was the lifestyle better at least? Uh I would say or still now you're doing MA.
1: I would M&A. say like half the time it was better and half the time it was very similar. It market. just kinda depend. Yeah. It wasn't um it felt like at JP it was pretty much Um, every, every day was, you know, past midnight for the most part. And that key, it was like, if you're working on stuff, it's, it's still that same way, which is to be expected. But, um, but there were were plenty of weeks where it was, you know, you're leaving the office at eight or nine, which is, is, you know, feels pretty good during those first couple of years. Yeah. And then you were there for almost again.
0: Almost two years. <laughs> Tell me about your thought process of because you know you knew PE was kind of what you wanted to do. Um, Cleveland's not necessarily like a PE hub. There's a couple great private equity funds. So like, how did you even go about? You knew you wanted to stay there, right?
1: Yeah, and so uh, it, this is actually probably when I think back on how I've gotten to where I've gotten. This is probably one of the more interesting dynamics because when I was leaving. JP was right when bulge bracket recruiting for you know the Carlisle's KKR's that that like all the bulge bracket pees was starting and they you know they interview, I mean back then it was already a year and a half in advance type of thing, um, and so I I I came from the world of oh man maybe maybe I need to start reaching out to PE firms right now to start trying to get lined up for a year and a half from now, um, and so when I got to Cleveland I kind of just started de- doing some of that networking and i I learned that the the world of middle market p e recruiting is not nearly that that rigid and not it's definitely not that far ahead. I, you know at the most, I would say it's like a year ahead. and so but but I was kind of fortunate that where I, when I got to Cleveland, um, I had I started doing that reach out because I was like, I don't want to miss the boat if I, if, if, that, if it's the same way. But I had made contacts during that initial outreach that that lasted and um, and ultimately. You know, set me up pretty good for once. Those once the funds in Cleveland were ready to start doing the recruiting.
0: So basically, you're saying you did the networking because you thought you were, you were going to miss the boat. It ended yep. up. At end of the boat was leaving a year later, but you, it was still good to have that those contacts, and it ended up paying dividends for you um, when the recruiting did kick off.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: so did you? How did you even approach that? Because you had just started at Cleveland.
1: Mm-hmm. Was
0: it? Was it like? Were you nervous about it? Did you talk to headhunters? Did you just like use LinkedIn? How did you? How'd you find um, like, who do you even speak with? was it? Did you target associates?
1: That's a good question. I think, um, no, I, I think I've reached out to um, a couple of associates at each of the, you know, the fund, the, the pretty good funds in Cleveland. And um, just said, Hey, you know, would like to learn a little bit more about your recruiting process. And luckily um, it's a, because the recruiting process is a, is a little bit more bespoke, I would say um, for middle market private equity firms, um, the folks are open to talk about it. And, you know, it's not like they're getting inundated with 150, you know, kids from all the bulge brackets wanting to talk to them. So it's not as onerous on the current associates. And they were willing to put me in touch with, you know, the, whether it be typically at at some of those funds, it's either, you know, the fund manager that, that leads a lot of the recruiting, or it's, you know, maybe a principal or like one specific person is kind of known as the, the gatekeeper. And so I was able to have a couple of those conversations with the right folks um, just based on. How'd you make a good impression? You talked about how you were getting that MA experience, or that's why you're <laughs>
0: there. What did you say?
1: I honestly don't know. That 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 time was a was a blur. Um, Do you remember I, like what kinds of questions you asked them? Sound intelligent. <laughs> um, I asked them a lot about in, investing. I think being able to talk about why you want to make the switch from banking into private equity is important. And um, and whether I knew it or not at the time, you know, I, I think I said the right answers. Whether I you know, knew exactly what I was saying or not, um, but I think it really is along the lines of being, you know, more into a little bit. And, and this is all in my opinion, because staying in banking is for sure a great path for a lot of people. But in my opinion, there's a little bit more, I guess, intellectual curiosity that goes on in the on the private equity side versus, and especially as you move up, versus in banking, you start becoming, you know, you know, as a you know VP in banking, you're you're starting to be a real, almost like a salesperson in a lot of ways Um mm-hmm. versus in private equity, you're, you're, you're being more of like a decision maker and you're, you're thinking through a lot of stuff. So there's pros and cons to both. And some people personalities fit better for one or the other. And uh, I just kind of got the feeling that my, my, the right path for me was to try and make the jump into bank or into private equity. That's fair. So,
0: I mean, you kind of started Giving them the right answers. Was there like an LBO modeling test they put you through? Eventually, once it once it kicked off, what was that like? Tell me about the the recruiting process. And did you did you recruit other funds and have to deal with like exploding offers and all that jazz? Or no?
1: Um, fortunately, I did not have to deal with um, like multiple bunch of processes going on at the same time again. Because I think in Cleveland Riverside, the fund that I'm at probably recruits a little, like probably the earliest out of all of them. Um, oh, that's and nice. it's a little bit more institutionalized. So mm-hmm. um, just because we're a, a bigger fund, but um, so it, there was definitely, you know, uh, a first round, you know, phone screen type stuff. There was a, I think after that, there's like a behavioral and, and IQ type test that they put you through. Um, that's maybe a couple hours. And then um, once you get through, so that, that's kind of the first two stages. And then the third stage. Do they tell you your IQ after you do it? Uh, I don't think they did. Now, <laughs> that'd be interesting. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was an interesting test. It was like there was one test that was almost almost like a GMAT style, and there was one that was like a, a true like personality test. Like you know, in this situation, what would you do? Type of Got thing. Got it. Okay. Um, and then the next step was a, a case study, which included a model and then uh, a memo of basically your recommendation on should we pursue this company? If so, you know what what's the right valuation? Uh, what are your key diligence items that you would want to talk about? What do you like? What you don't like? That sort of thing. So, <laughs> and I want to say maybe we had, they sent it to us and we had uh, probably anywhere from four, four to four days to a week. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Uh, that's, but, that's brutal when it's that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause, Cause then you, you, you know,
0: almost, uh, you almost want it to be 24 hours. Cause then it's like, you, you know, you can't do as much that the four to seven days is a brutal case study. Yeah,
1: It was, <laughs> hard. but it was, I mean, it was. It was really a good experience doing the case study. Uh, and like I said, it was, it was my first one um, because I, it was the first interviews that I was doing in Cleveland. Um, so, and, and luckily it, it kind of worked out and then they brought us in. Um, I, I candidly looking back on it now only because I've gone through the process of hiring folks, you know, for the last five years now. Um, we usually bring in anywhere from, I don't know, seven to 10 people. And depending on the year, there's one or two spots probably in Cleveland. It's pretty um, tough, but it's still pretty, it's pretty competitive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah, so tell me about like, just in, let's talk about the case today a little bit. So like you, they give you a company, how did you research? How did you just, you just started building an operating model and then started doing the LBO off of that and, just, and then just trying to get back into an IRR and um, yeah. then looked at like uh, basically just the industry and started digging in there? Did you use any third-party research? How did you, were you leveraging uh, access from like uh, Bloomberg or whatever, Bloomberg or any other research you had at KeyBank?
1: Yeah, I'd say all of it. And I think because you had, you know, almost a week to do it, you felt like you had to do all that stuff. So everything from, you know, the operating model to, um, to build like overlaying the LBO, I would say one thing that, (laughs) inevitably, almost every you know, banker that I've seen that comes in and does a private equity model will you know do the traditional football field that also has you know, a comps, public comps, LBO, DCF. I, I can honestly say I haven't done one DCF since I've gotten into, into private equity. So looking back on it, if I was going to cut anything out, uh, it'd probably be that part of it. Not that it's that yeah. much incremental work. But, um, you know, and then it was, uh, you know, I think the comps was a big thing because you know, once you get into private equity, you realize you kind of have a, you get a good gut sense of what it's going to take to to be competitive in a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but when you're you know, when you're interviewing and you you don't really have you don't really know that you think that it's really just you it's all up to you to figure out that exact right valuation. And ultimately, that's that's not how it works in practice. But when you're doing the case study, you're like, man, I got to find the very best comps. I got to, you know, do all this. and 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 so that's that's what we did for the case study.
0: Very cool. And so it sounds like it worked. So you get the case study and then there's like the final round is more like just check the box kind of thing with the partners there.
1: Uh, no, very very much not that way. Actually, um, I would say they grilled you on the case study. I'm sure there was uh, about probably two people that really went in depth on the case study. Um, and, and looking back on it again now, I would say what we typically do is we'll have one of either like kind of a senior associate level position, really <laughs> review the model in detail well, somebody else Usually, usually now it's a company that we have owned. So, like, we'll have maybe a, a VP or a partner who actually worked on that company um, be the one who talked, like talk through the case study in terms of like diligence items, pros cons, et cetera. And then the rest is um, is really based on fit. And there's a couple of you know there's a couple of partners that will ask some uh, brain teaser isn't the right word, but just kind of like you know finance style question just to see how you think through problem solving. Um, do, you remember, I, do you remember any of this? I do. Uh, and the partner would kill me if I, if I shared it because it's his, it's his go-to. Sorry, right, we don't have to. <laughs> I don't
0: want you to get in trouble. So, okay. So, um, but like brain teaser, teaser-ish or maybe like a case sizing type question or whatever. So yeah. I get the idea. So you're, um, you start, how are things different? What's the transition like from you know, the M&A type work you're doing to now you're on, now you're a principal investor? What's the difference?
1: Uh, I guess I'll start with like the.
0: the and how many people? Uh, how big are the offices? Like, what's the what's the like?
1: Yeah, what's that? So one? our our fund is about a billion and a half dollar fund. We're in our seventh vintage now. We were in our sixth vintage back when I started, um, and we have investors in Cleveland, Dallas, and San Francisco. And I would say each office has anywhere from ten to fifteen investors. So roughly, you know, our fund is probably somewhere around. 35 to 40 investors at any time um, in those three offices. Riverside in general is a much bigger entity, but that's that's what our fund is. Got it. And then in terms of um,
0: just how things were so different, like, were they very different? Was it, did you feel like you were behind when you started or you felt like you, it was pretty easy to start reviewing sims and and you know, typing up investing committee memos, running processes? What, what part felt like the hardest transition? Was it just like running diligence processes? Like, talking to the CFOs and CEOs? Like, what was it?
1: Um, I would honestly probably say the hardest part is that you, you're the one deciding on what analysis to do and deciding when you've come to the right answer. And for a lot of questions, you, what you find is you can continue to do research and continue to do work and continue to do analysis for as long as humanly possible. So I think the, the important thing that I'm looking back on is like, before you just start digging in and doing every analysis and every research assignment under the sun is to try and actually figure out the the three or four things that are actually really important for that deal and focus on those um mm-hmm. because you can you can just continue to work until you're blue in the face cuz you don't have you know you don't have, you typically aren't going to have somebody who's telling like in banking you have somebody that says go make these three slides and come back to me go do this customer analysis and come back to me in private equity it's a more open ended question where it's at, where your partner is going to say Hey, is this a good company? And you, what does that mean? So having getting yourself into a rhythm and a structure um, to, to be able to do that analysis without, you know, without spinning your wheels on stuff that's not important is probably the biggest learning curve that I had. Yeah. For me, it was,
0: it was really about um, going from like people telling you when you can go to the bathroom to, <laughs> to nobody talking to you. <laughs> yeah. I ended up getting fired from my first font um, within three, four months. Oh, wow. About. And it was, I found out later it was because the fund was imploding, but like, I don't think I did myself any favors with, um, I was a little bit uh, aimless, not really knowing where I should come in and where I should come out, when I should be doing analyses. And I was given a lot of portfolio company work Mm -hmm. up front Were you, were you placed on a lot of portfolio companies. And was that hard to kind of integrate yourself?
1: Um, I would say I I probably wanted to get on more portfolio companies. And this was probably just the dynamic of what our staffing situation was at the time. But typically when I was starting um, your first six months, the new associates were only on new deal stuff, which was, which made it very lumpy. Like when you were looking at a new deal, you were really grinding. It was um, you know, it was fun. It was exciting. It was fast paced. And then all of a sudden the deal would die. You would decide that you didn't like it you would put in a bid and you wouldn't get the, you know, you wouldn't get a management presentation, whatever it was. So like it would go from one week and then, and then you're just waiting until the next week for new deals to come in to get staffed on something again. So you might go from working, you know, one week, uh, you know, same as banking. To all of a sudden, the next week you can leave at four p.m. every day. But then, but then after six months, um, you, I did get staffed on portfolio companies, and then and then it's a pretty. It, it becomes a more steady, even rhythm of you know looking at add-ons, doing some portfolio company analysis, that kind of stuff. And you think it was like around sixty, sixty-ish
0: hours average as an associate.
1: deputy? When you're not when you're not on something live, I would say probably in the sixty range when you're on something live, I would say more in the 80 80ish range I think riverside riverside in general probably is a we're a pretty high volume shop so um, so I would say riverside is probably not is probably on the high end of uh, of the range just because you're doing so many deals and they're smaller? uh yeah, you're doing a lot of deals we do a, we do a bunch of add-ons too um, yep. and so you know I, I would say. In my first couple of years, I, I think we, I did, I was on three platforms, um, three add-ons and two exits over the course of, and the ones that closed, there's obviously a lot more that you look at. Um, so there's, you know, that, that, that alone. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah,
0: for sure. So, okay, so you're there for a couple of years, is, is Riverside like, hey, get out of here in two years, usually for most people and go get your MBA? Or is it, is it more traditionally like, uh, hey, you can stick around, there's a place here for you?
1: Uh, I would say it's kind of a hybrid. Um, and, but, but I would say one thing that Riverside does really well is communicates early with you on, on where that kind of stands. And so, um, I was fortunate enough to be, you know, to know that I wanted to stay in Cleveland. I was fortunate enough to know that I, I didn't really want to get an MBA if I, if I didn't need to. Um, and so that communication process was pretty easy and open at Riverside. And, um, how,
0: how much, how much of them extending you a senior associate role? Was because you wanted to stay in Cleveland, and because you didn't necessarily want the MBA, and how much of it was because you were just doing a good job and they liked you? Uh,
1: I mean, I think you have to have the second part. I think you have to be doing a good job to get the option, Um, and I think that the other piece just you know helped from the cultural fit probably more than anything. So um, typically, I would say uh, to be a you know to go from associate to senior associate, it's typically three years, um, and I got promoted after two, which was I think maybe maybe the reason. I was doing a good job. I got, I was pretty productive in terms of, which is mostly luck because it's just whatever you get staffed on. But I, I got a lot of deals done early on in my time at Riverside, which was really helpful. So getting reps, I mean, do you think if you, there's something besides luck though?
0: Obviously you have to have deals that are doable. Like there's, yeah, sometimes it's just a deal is going to, there's no way a deals there, but do you think there's something around a skill you had that specifically allowed you to close more? is it schmoozing the sellers? Is that like, what is it like? No. like
1: well, well, honestly, yeah, that's actually a little bit part of it is, is being able to win over the hearts and minds of the management team. Um, right. And, but I mean, in the initial phase when you're getting staffed on stuff, I, I would say it's more of like maybe a little bit more of like a gut feel and tangible thing of like, this company seems good. And this seems like a co- this seems like the type of company that we would go after hard mm-hmm. and, you know, understanding the process dynamic. So there's a lot of like, Um, Intangible stuff that goes into kind of picking and choosing which deals you raise your hand for, probably. Um, And then there is a little bit of meaning, pushing hard.
0: Like, were they expecting you to go in front of the investing committee right away as an associate and be like, "Hey, this we should pay fifteen times for this company." Like,
1: yes, Uh, I I would say not necessarily on the valuation side, but there definitely was um, an expectation that you know that you should be reaching out to the partner if you see a deal that's you know a manufacturing deal. You should be reaching out to the partner that, you know, that, you know, is going to be the one looking at that because we do have, you know, the partners are specialized by industry or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you should be reaching out and saying, hey, I like this company for these reasons. You know, I, if, if you're going to look at it, I'd like to be on the team. So there's definitely an aspect of that, too, of like being a little bit hungry. Very cool. And so you were hungry.
0: <laughs> Apparently, yeah. And that's how you got the early promo. Did you feel yeah. like there was anything around advocating for yourself for that early promo and for that stuff? Or like, were you going in and having conversations with the partners about your future? Like they said, you said they do it early, but was it like, were you, push, were you pushing the envelope a little bit and being a little bit like on that edge? Or was it more like just a natural thing that occurred because they like they liked how you're doing? Like, were they proactive about pulling you aside and saying, hey,
1: what are your thoughts? And then you're all you had to do was like, yeah, I'd love to be here. <laughs> I would say it's, um, so we do, we do half year, every six months, there's a check-in with our fund manager where you sit down. And so I would say it was more natural within the scope of those conversations. I wasn't, you know, going to partners being like, Hey, I want to get promoted early, like, or anything like that. Right. I would say personally, I think that the best way to, to show that you, you know, want to continue on is just to work, put your head down and work hard and almost like not lead by example, but work by example. And, um, and I think that that, and even now that I've, you know, been in a situation where where I'm having, I'm in the discussions about who should be promoted and that sort of thing. Um, that, that to me always sticks out the most of who's, you know, who's going that extra mile of, you know, showing that they want it via their work, via the questions that they're asking. And that doesn't always mean that, I mean, and honestly, in most cases, in my opinion, that doesn't mean that you're staying until midnight when you could have left at 10, when you could have left at 10 PM. It's more, you know, there's, there's definitely, a, still an element of working smart, not just working hard to it, but you think it's an um,
0: intellect thing or a, like, it's, it's kind of a blend of an intellect with the soft scale, right?
1: Yeah. I, I have mean, both. yeah, you have, I would say the intellect is more of like the table stakes. And then yeah. what I, uh, I'm a big fan of emotional intelligence. And I think that emotional intelligence is what allows people to maybe rise a little bit faster or, or be a little bit more successful, but that definitely there's a table stakes from that, you know, from the smart side, but it's <laughs> not, you know, it's not, <laughs> you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be in this industry.
0: Yeah. And then you got promoted again, two years after that, you just, you know, recently in this past year, that seems, that sounds fast too. Was that fast?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, a rising,
0: yeah. rising star here. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, can you tell me a little bit, I know you probably can't share the exact, but like um, Cleveland, private equity, Cleveland, I don't you know. We have some data on it, I'm sure in the company database, but um, in terms of pay, is it, um, I assume it was like a, if not a pay raise, like at least flat from from like an MA job or whatever. But then, um, is it like base around a, around 100, 125, or is it a little bit less because it's it's Cleveland? It, can you share a little bit about like associate pay and then how it scales? And, and if, if you're able to share anything about carry?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, and again, this is probably a little bit stale. I, I think there's been some adjustments since I started. But sure. I mean, it can be a, it can be a slight range too. You don't have to. Yeah, I would say it was, you know, banking at the time that I was in banking in Cleveland. Um, I want to say it was a slight haircut to what I was saying about Chicago. So, if, you know, if a second year, second or third year analyst in Chicago at that time was at 85 or 90, probably mm-hmm. um, Cleveland might have been at at 80 or like maybe like 80. So maybe like a, you know, call it like five. And then I would say that the the transition from being a, a second year analyst to a first year associate was pretty comparable in terms of all in pay. So it wasn't a pay wasn't a big pay raise wasn't a pay cut necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, you know, it, it scales similar to banking in general. <clears throat> so, you know, there, there was typically a uh, an annual, uh, you know, 10k type of increase in in salary. Yeah, yeah but that, really, the bonus is where a lot of the bumps yeah. are, right? Yeah, exactly. it yeah. A little bit unique, uh, again, because we are uh, a decently volume, high volume shop. Um, junior, junior, uh, investment professionals can make a, a good amount of money. We do, um, we, we have part of our bonus that's based on deal closing deals. And so, um, so you can, you know, you can get pretty substantially over hundred percent of your, of your base. If you, if you do a number of deals, is there any sort of co invest? You, uh, as a Riverside employee, you can invest in our funds when they come up to be in, like, when they're, you know, near closing, essentially. And that's, that goes, that's not just the fund that you work in, which is a good benefit. That's cool.
0: Awesome. So how has the transition been? So it's, it sounds like I'm a little more curious about, you know, you're an associate, your head's down, you're grinding, you're doing deals. It's a senior associate, probably still mostly doing deals a little bit now, maybe helping with the recruiting. I don't know, and like reviewing the models, like you said. How has the transition been to, to VP now where, um, you know, how has it shifted? Because it sounds like even as an associate, you were still bringing in deals or at least reviewing the stuff. Is it more like actually you're going out there and bringing in more, like you're expected to bring in your own deals? So what's what's that VP level like?
1: Um, so at Riverside, we have a pretty big origination team. So actually, even at the, oh, okay. at the associate level, you weren't necessarily sourcing the deals. I, I was. I think my comment was more around like, you know, when you're at a management team dinner, finding a way to, you know, distinguish yourself and actually get them to like you type of thing. So you're not, we don't, we didn't do a lot of origination, except for maybe some on some add on work, you d- you might do some, you know, when you're actually on a portfolio company already. Um, I, I, the biggest jump between associate and senior associate, um, you know, actually, there's not that much of a difference besides your, your, you have somebody that you're reviewing a little bit more, you start to get into that, you know, managing one type, one person, but you're still doing a lot of the blocking and tackling. Uh, the, the bigger jump has definitely been to VP, um, especially within Riverside. We were very focused on industry specialization. So definitely at the VP level, you're focused on really starting to hone in on a couple different, um different uh, sectors, which is, which has been good and a great learning experience. You definitely, it's, it's more proactive in general. So you know, it's even more of the, and as, as a VP or, you know, our, we call them number twos, our deal teams have number twos on them. Um, number one is the partner, is the partner number two is the either VP or principal. They're they're really playing the quarterback of, of the deal. So, you know, they're the ones that are, you know, that kind of the buck stops with us in terms of the the process, you know, the diligence, making sure you're turning over the right rocks, yeah, so it's
0: basically two. It's basically two. It's it's the VP and this associate basically are the ones working together a lot of times with a partner, like just giving like a thumbs up or a thumbs down at the end, or whatever.
1: <laughs> Is that fair? We actually we typically have four person deal teams, so we'll have an associate, a senior associate.
0: Okay, and- it's a lot. Okay, how do the associate and the senior associate divide that that work? There's enough. You guys go really deep into diligence.
1: We we do a lot of diligence. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. And I did a lot of like, uh, well, you don't have to go into this. I, I'm just always curious about like what it's like at different shops, like versus what I was, what it was like mm-hmm. a tailwind for me. Yeah. Um, for sure. Anything else? So like any final words of wisdom before we call it, has been really interesting in terms of, um, your path, um, and just thought process of, of the moves you made and, and, um, for the listeners out there in terms of people that may want to follow a similar path, any thoughts?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the advice that I always give is, is be, you know, be proactive, but be sincere about it. You know, when you're doing networking and that sort of thing, like, don't be, don't be a pain. Don't, don't act like, you know, don't, at least, and this is my opinion, being, you know, being from the Midwest, being in the Midwest, I I didn't really want to go to New York um, and, and that kind of thing and have that the whole, like the very high finance type experience. So my, I, I'm, I tend to, you know, uh, connect better with people who are a little bit more laid back, but sincere and still interested. Um, so being intellectually curious, I think is a very important aspect of, um, of being successful in any job really. Um, and then the other piece that I would say is like that, and this is the same advice I give to kids all the time is when you're, when you're, no matter what role you're in, always try and think of like how you're like, why you're doing what you're doing and how you can make the person above you's job a little bit easier. So, you know, and and in, in banking as an as a very crude example. In banking, if you're if you're an analyst and your associate says, hey, go do this customer analysis. And you know, instead of just going back and doing it and saying, hey, here's the customer analysis, like maybe you look at it and you say, Hey, I noticed customer, you know, customer number three grew 15% last year. I did a little bit more digging and it's because they bought two more products than they bought historically. Like doing that one level next of layer of thinking is you, you wouldn't be surprised how few people do it. But I think it's, is very, it's a very easy way to differentiate yourself. Easy way to impress the boss.
0: Oh, yeah. you did that. You, did my, you helped me do my job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's huge. Well, well, we'll end on that. I think it's great advice. Um, and anyways, Harrison, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, Patrick. Thanks for having me. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.